Welcome to another episode of Students of the Word. Here in Session 2, we dig into the text and make excellent progress, getting all the way through the end of the first verse. We had a great discussion in which I learned a lot, so I hope you enjoy it. Are you guys ready? Let us jump into our study today, finally getting into... uh, Well, I say finally. We did, in fact, get into some study. We got at least three or four words uh, into 1 John 1-1 last time, um, which is an excellent start. Um, So I want to... Uh, you know, today the my little title for today is concerning the word of life, uh, because that's what I think things are clear. Well, okay, I was going to say what things are clearly about, though we still don't hit the main subject and verb um, of the um, uh, uh, of the sentence, of course, in this first verse. Um, but what I want to do is I want to look. So I want to let's look back over verse one. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So you see that the, the, within that first set of sort of like nesting set of, it's not even nesting clauses. They're like a, a series of clauses, right? Um, all of these things, you know, a series of noun clauses, all of these things concerning the word of life. All of them are connected to the word of life, right? The word of life is the the sort of climax, syntactically speaking, right, of that first verse, right? So that's clearly what we are supposed to focus on, what we're supposed to think about. Um, now, again, I would emphasize this is not the main idea of the sentence yet, right? We're not at the subject in verb. Um, so we haven't hit the independent clause and we're not gonna until we get down to verse three, Right, and we'll come back to that. Of course, we're going to have to come back to verse one and look at this um, verse two. As who knows, maybe we'll get there today. I don't really know, but um, if we get there, I will see two is parenthetical, uh, right? And so then in verse three we resume and get to the independent clause. But but the word of life. So this, of course, picks up on what we were saying last time. Uh, uh, what we were saying last time about the significance of the beginning, right? We started talking about uh, the uh, the beginning, which, peeking over to my uh, Greek, which I have uh, sitting over here on the side, um, uh, as always. And by the way, holy cow, this is so cool. I mean, I totally forgot to put a link to this on my webpage. I meant to do that. I'll do that. Um, but um, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I'll put up a link to this. So this is uh, the uh, Bible Hub is the dot uh, com is the the website here. And this is so cool. I could spend like, I could lose myself for days on this thing because not only does it have like, does it parse it for you and everything, but like what I discovered almost act like I'd been, I'd been really enjoying the, the mouse over part, right? I can mouse over these things and it'll tell me like what the words are from and everything. But if you click on the word, it takes you to the concordance Oh, where you can see where this word is used everywhere else. Oh my goodness, that's incredible. But wait, it gets even cooler. You click on the number at the top and the number is the number from Strong's Concordance and it gives you the whole part of speech and like word studies and and like references in lots of other places. So cool. Oh my goodness, I can't even handle it. So anyway... Um, this is, I, I, I told you guys last time, I don't know Greek and I'm interested in learning Greek and just kind of being able to sort of, um, crawl around 
in here uh, is really helpful. Now, you're right, Aiden. Um, we don't get from this um, information about how the words are used outside the Bible. That would be really helpful, too. Um, but, uh, you know, I, so I agree. That would, be, that would be a really useful supplement to see other ways in which those words are used, uh, especially um, uh, contemporaneously. Because my understanding is that the, the I mean, the Greek that the New Testament authors are generally writing in, um, it's like, uh, it's not exactly street Greek, uh, precisely, but it's, it's the, you know, Greek that has been adapted for, um, you know, a common language, especially in the Eastern half of the Mediterranean. Um, and, uh, you know, these are, these are, these are all, you know, first century Jews, like speaking from within the Jewish culture, uh, the Jewish cultural context, and therefore also often quoting, um, uh, often uh, quoting the uh, the Septuagint, right? The old the Greek Old Testament uh, translation, which they knew very well. Um, but uh, yeah, exactly. It's a Greek as spoken by native Arama uh, Aramaic speakers, uh, Aiden. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a common speech. It's a, it's 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 simpler uh, in some ways. As that's always been my understanding. Yeah. Um, anyway. But I, I don't want to get to I I I the language can be a temptation for me. <laughs> like I don't I don't want to, I don't want to sidetrack too much and talk about just the language itself. Um, but it's um, I, it's important for us to keep in mind kind of where we're coming from here. But anyway, back to the beginning. What was from the beginning? Um, and though we were saying last time, I'm not going to talk too much about um, I'm not going to talk too much about connections, you know, we're not going to do a whole lot of chasing around throughout the entire uh, Bible and stuff. Uh, I really want to focus in on what John is doing internally and the vocabulary that he's building internally. But as I said last time, the very first phrase I can't uh, skip, I can't avoid the connections there. Um, the because Especially when it turns out that what was from the beginning is the word, right? Which, of course, you know, thinking back to John, uh, John 1, 1, the very beginning of John's gospel, and the beginning was the word, which, of course, itself looks back to Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created. So um, that we are appealing in that direction seems pretty clear. The Greek word is the same, arche, uh, there, um, as well as the word uh, uh, for word there, right? Uh, concerning the logon, here, what logon tes zois, um, uh, the word of life, um, and um, as I thought uh, syntactically, uh, word is genitive here, um, which is uh, peri is the uh, conjunction there concerning the word of life, um, uh, and that is the sense that I had uh, from the. English translation from the New American Standard concerning the word of life. Um, it's so the, these these noun clauses are all things that are that are about the word of that are that are, that are of the word uh, of life. Um, it is the 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 kind of the anchor at the end of that series of noun clauses. So on the one hand, we get what well, was from the beginning and the word like John one one, but it's not the same, right? John 1, 1 is beginning, you know, in the beginning was the word, 
and the word did a whole bunch of other things, right? And it talks explicitly about the relationship between the word and God and all that stuff, right? Um, that's uh, what John does at the beginning of the gospel. That's not what we're doing here. We're recalling that, right? So when we get what was from the beginning, um, uh, we, 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 we also get the word. But he's not doing that same thing, right? What is this first verse about? You know, it's uh, what was from the beginning concerning the word of life is not the same as the word in the beginning was the word. Notice how much more straightforward <laughs> that is uh, in John uh, 1 1. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Do you, see the, do you see what I mean? What was from the beginning concerning the word of life? I'm skipping the stuff in the middle uh, because I'm trying to see the shape of how those noun clauses fit with that last phrase concerning the word of life. Do you see what I mean by that? Um so something is going on, not just, it's not just that the word is doing something here, right? It, and it's not just a statement that the word was there from the beginning. It is alluding to something that was from the beginning concerning the word of life. And that um, suggests to me uh, that it's, he's using the word beginning in more than one sense here. Right. Um, there is clearly the echo of the capital B beginning. Right. Uh, the big beginning, the Genesis one, one, John one, one beginning. Right. But I think that there's clearly there's clearly more than that uh, here. Um, uh, and that sounds funny to say, like, what do you mean more beginning than the beginning of everything? Right. I mean that he's he, I think he's using that word in more than one sense. Right. Um, that he wants us to be thinking, I think, about creation, about the beginning, creation and the word's involvement in the creation. He's, he's embedded that, I think, for a reason. But I think that that's not the topic of this verse, right? Um, but before I um, skip over here, because it's kind of a big deal, um, word of life. I didn't necessarily see that coming. Um, I remember... It's not hard to remember. In some ways, I feel like when I came back and was studying this book um, recently, it was almost like I read it for the for the first time. I, I have like all these memories of like you know uh, my reactions uh, upon seeing it for the first time from you know last. In like November or something, because um, although I've read this book many times before in the context of reading through the Bible, I, as I've said, I've never understood it. And um, uh, it always just kind of rolled past me in part because I read it way too fast. Um, I would usually read first John in a sitting um, uh, when I was doing my like read through the Bible stretches and stuff. Um, and it's just like it would roll past me or over me and I would just be like, huh? Um, and then in places where I have looked, I mean, there are other passages that I remember from years past. Um, 
passages that came up in uh, maybe other Bible studies that I was in or something like that. And like where everybody just kind of like slowly backs away and like, you know, tries to like, you know, because there are a whole bunch of verses in this epistle um, that like often Christians come across and they just they do that. They like back slowly away in a non-threatening manner, hoping it won't spring. Right. And we'll get to some of those. Um, But um, uh, anyway, remembering this, the word of life was one of the things that kind of surprised me, that really struck me there because I was expecting the word. Like when, it, when I got what was from the beginning, I was waiting for the word to come. Um, but then I got the word of life. And that seems to me another really important thing, going back to the Greek here for a minute, uh, logo tes zoes, um, the, or, or to logo tes zoes. And I apologize for my pronunciation. I've never learned how to pronounce Greek. I'm making things up. Um, uh, but um, zoe, uh, zoe is the where is the noun, the life noun here. And that I know to be important. Um, and this is definitely one of the words that I want to be making sure that we are keeping track of. There are several pieces of vocabulary and we'll, we'll be building this as we go through. Let me actually um, peek ahead for a minute here. I got my other versions and we can refer to those. But I, I started a little chart um, of... Uh, our word list, uh, building our, our, our Johannine vocabulary. And, um, I want to be adding words to this as we go. Um, words that we want to make sure that we're keeping track of, uh, because by noticing them and how he uses them as we move along is how we're going to be able to get a sense for what he means by that. And the significance of those con- and, the, and the kinds of concepts that he's bringing into contact with each other by his different, uh, usages of there. So now in, I didn't include Logos on here. Um, I can be convinced, but, um, and here, like, of course, we're in verse one. So what I'm adding to the word list, I'm like completely cheating, basically using my memory of the rest of the book. And, and uh, you know, so I'm coming across these words in, in one one and saying, like, I, I, I can remember, you know, at least half a dozen, if not more places where this is going to come up and be very, very important uh, in many, many future places in the book. Logos is crucial, um, but he doesn't use it as often. Um, he do- it comes up. It comes up, um, but not as much as, say, Zoe. Um, uh, Zoe is, is and, and I would also add, when he does use the word word, when he does use logos, he often tends to um, just kind of bring it in, uh, like when he says uh, in, uh, what is it, um, chapter, chapter four? Yeah, chapter... No, chapter five. In chapter five, uh, right? There are three in heaven that uh, there are three that bear witness in heaven: the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one, right? The great Trinitarian verse. Um, he, you know, tosses off the word there in the Trinitarian list, right? Um, so obviously that's important. It's not like that's not important, right? Um, but uh, but again, it's not. He's not using that word persistently. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm, I was overlooking them. Um, or maybe even, um, you know, the English translation I was looking at concealed it. It's another thing. It's another reason why I want to keep anchoring us to the Greek. Um, because, of course, uh, there are uh, particular words uh, that, um, you know, 
when translated into English, either a single word will get translated in multiple different ways. Um, so there is a repetition that the English hides, or sometimes the English will create a repetition that isn't there in the Greek. Um, so I, I, so I want to keep it kind of, that's why I have English and Greek there to make sure that we're kind of thinking, thinking about those. Um, uh, yeah, Matthew, that's exactly what I am thinking too, that, um, adding Zoe, adding Zoe in the genitive afterwards, right? It's not, He's not only speaking of the word, but the word of life. Um, he is, I think, developing those themes in a new direction um, and connecting from the beginning. What we have um, is, and let me go, let me go back to my word list. It's pretty simple here. Um, and by the way, I'm, we're going to be, uh, uh, we, we can be making notes and, and adding things to that list as we, uh, live here. I'm going to, you know, willing to edit that page. That's why I left blank spots there uh, if we need to. Um, but um, the word of life, like that phrase, um, life is where the verse ends, right? Um, it's, it's, a, it's a genitive. It's sort of, you know, it's uh, 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 clarifying. Um, but um, that genitive, by the way, for those of you who uh, haven't done much language study of this kind. The genitive case just means the possessive case. It's not only used with possessives as we can see. Um, both of these verbs, uh, this is genitive masculine singular or genitive feminine singular, both two, uh, uh, logo uh, and zoe are both in the genitive because this preposition takes the genitive or when this preposition takes the genitive, it can take the genitive and it means certain things. That's how... Um, uh, an inflected language will uh, will, you know, uh, show meaning and syntax that way. Um, but in general, the genitive—it's yes, it's like the apostrophe s. It's the possessive case of a noun, um, which, of course, in the case of life, gets represented there. It makes word of life a thing, like a single thing together, um, a single concept. But it makes. It also makes um, let me use the possessive uh, as an example. Um, when you say um, you know a simple, a really simple possessive of ownership right? Like Joe's boots, right? You say Joe's boots. The primary noun is Joe, right? Um, and, uh, or that is, sorry, the primary noun is boots, right? Like I picked up Joe's boots. What did you pick up? You picked up the boots, right? It's, it's the, the actions about the boots, right? So what is the word Joe's, the genitive word there? What is it doing? It's a, it's a possessive. It's an, it's ultimately working like an adjective describing the boot, which boots Joe's boots, right? The boots of Joe. Um, it's giving you information about that primary noun. Um, so there's a way in which these, um, these two words joined together, word and life there, uh, as genitives like that. Um, yeah, genitive can define. That's, an, that's a good way of thinking about it, uh, Tom. Um, and can I just say how wonderful it is to have so many people in here who know mo so much more about Greek than I do. Uh, I would be completely at sea uh, without help. But yes, genitive can define. Um, so the word of life can mean the word 
that is life. Yes, exactly. And that's that's exactly, Tom, the way that it fe- feels to me, like the way that this whole thing seems to uh, seems to go. It's um, it it defines the life that he's talking about in a sense. Right. But it also defines the word that he's talking about. These two things are intimately bound together, life and the word. And honestly, that would be in my top three summaries of this entire epistle. Um, that the word, uh, that life is of the word and that the word is of life. Um, both of those things, um, are, um, I think absolutely central to what John is doing here. So noting their connection together, it's not, it's not just the word. And I, <laughs> I feel a twinge every time I say that phrase, just, it's not just the word, right? It's not just the logos. I mean, like, whatever. I'm not being slighting, of course, in saying just the word. I'm saying he's adding this important concept to it from the beginning. He is attaching the concept of life, Zoe, to the word himself, right? Uh, who is, we don't yet have the name Jesus used, right? Connected to the word. Um, we're going to get Jesus, of course, at the end of verse three. Um, but this is, of course, enormously essential uh, for John. But this is where I do think, Matthew, as you were suggesting before, he's kind of taking what was said there in John 1, 1, um, and he's, he's, he's sort of adding a new dimension. He's going a different direction with it, right? He's, we're thinking about this. Uh, springboarding, that's a perfectly fine way to, uh, uh, to, um, uh, to think about that. Um, so yeah, there's almost, it is almost like a synonym praise. I think that's fair to say, um, that he is coupling those two ideas, the Logos and the Zoe, um, almost as intimately as that. Um, I, one of my, one of my general observations about the pattern of thought in first John, I feel like, um, it reminds me of Sesame street episodes of my youth, you know, where, uh, like this episode was brought to you by the letter G and the number four, right? I feel like, uh, the first epistle of John is brought to you by the transitive property in math, right? The transitive property, as you may recall, is like if, if one thing is equal to another thing uh, and they're both equal to a third thing, then those things are equal to each other, right? I, John is constantly going around saying, you know, this is this. Like the, what I just did, like how I switched, you know, the word of, uh, you know, the, the word of life. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, the life of the word and, uh, you know, the word of life. Um, John does that kind of thing all the time, all the time, all the time. Um, and we're going to see him doing this constantly. There will be frequent occasions as we discuss this epistle when he's going to be saying things and, and we may be hoping he's about to tell us, like, he's like kind of wrapping these concepts together without really defining them. And then he's going to connect them to another thing, which is which we, we may hope is going to... Um, bring us to like a do a, a third thing that will help us understand those things. And instead he's just going to link them back to each other again. Like that's just, it's, it's how it works. It's how this epistle works. It's how he thinks. Um, so thinking about word and life together there, um, we, we see that notice again, our, if we know J- John one, one, 
we would think that the word is the important thing here, right? When we get what was from the beginning and then we finally get to the word, we would be like, okay, so we're talking about the word, right? But look where he goes immediately in verse two. Is he talking about the word? No, he's talking about life. And the life was manifested, right? So speaking of the life, let me tell you more about the life, right? And it was like, oh, okay, so it's, it's not just about the word. It's about the word of life. And then he goes on to talk about the life. Uh, and it was the life in verse two that is going to be seen like the, like that, which was from the beginning was being seen and heard and looked upon, uh, there in verse one. Um, so again, there's a way in which he's taking these two concepts and he's bringing them very, very close in that first idea. And that, I, that's the first thing I think that we need to kind of, um, ground ourselves on the connection between the word and life. And again, going now back all the way back to the RK, right? Back to Genesis 1. Um, that, of course, is not a surprising connection, right? Um, that the whole creation process, um, you know, is, you know, the the ordering and vivification of things. You know, we start off with, um, you know, the word being uh, uh, wild and waste, right? Being uh, empty and void, being... What's the what's that marvelous Hebrew phrase? Tohu vavohu. Isn't that the isn't that the Hebrew phrase there in Genesis uh, one? Um, anyway, um, but then of course we get um, you know all of these additions and orderings, and of course culminating um, in the latter days, right in days five and six, um, with you know, life with teeming life. And then of course you have, uh, the breathing of the breath of life into Adam there, uh, in, you know, into, into Adam, into the person, um, uh, in, uh, uh, in chapter two. So anyway, this, this connection between, you know, from word through creation, you know, back to creation through John one, one and Genesis one, one, um, that link between the word and life between that power of, uh, that power of the word of God, of, of God's speaking uh, in creation. Um, yeah, the link between that and, and life uh, is easy to see. Uh, and we can, we can see that, you know, um, John is really, is really resting on that there. Um, and I agree, Randall, that the identification of word and life is even more strongly suggested there uh, in the second verse. Um, agreed. Agreed. Uh, um, ooh, Matthew, hang on. I'm going to save that one for a second. Um, and remind me, Matthew, if we, if we, when we're discussing verse two, if I haven't gone right, Matthew's doing, doing a cool, uh, cool thing with the word manifested. And, uh, I want to, I want to come back to that, but we're, so, I'm, I'm peeking ahead at verse two, which is irresponsible because we're not done with verse one yet. Um, especially the way that this is kind of chunked, right? Verse one is its own thing. Uh, that is the set of noun clauses. And then we get the parenthetical in verse two, and then we get the rest of the independent clause in verse three. And so that's why I'm, 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 the verses themselves, the verse divisions are, 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 you know, they're not authorial, right? They're not original. Um, so, you know, we don't have to like bind ourselves to the verse divisions. Um, but these make good sense to me, uh, as a way to, to split them up. And although I skipped over the stuff in the middle there, um, I don't want to, in verse one, I mean, I don't want to leave it behind entirely. Um, so let's, let's do the middle. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, 
what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So, again, rather than First John, or sorry, John 1, 1, where we get the, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, um, the, and these, these statements, startling enough statements, uh, but uh, clear, syntactically clear statements, right, about the word and who the word is and what the word was and how long the word's been around and all that kind of thing. Um, here we get what was from the beginning. And then we immediately start with the we's, right? Um, he's not writing in the third person singular. He's not writing about the word. He's writing about us. And we talked about the plural here. All of these verbs are clearly plural. The hearing and seeing, right? Like peeking back over at our, at our Greek here. Um, yeah, yeah. Heard is plural and seen is plural and gazed upon is plural and handled down here is plural. Um, so yeah, we're all, we got, we got all these plural verbs going on, right? First person plural. Um, so it's all about the action, the repeated actions here. Well, no, they're not repeated. They're all different actions, sort of, um, is, is, is us. These are all things that we have done concerning the word of life, heard, seen, looked at, touched. Um, the first one, that's, um, the most striking thing to me, I think. Um, I think that that was the bit, I kind of had my mind blown twice in the first verse, as I recall when I sat down with this in like November, when October, whenever it was, um, the one I've already mentioned, the word of life, um, that I didn't expect the, 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 the tag along there. I didn't expect the add on, uh, to word. Um, but what we have heard, um, because I knew that word was coming. Right. Um, and I had been used to thinking of the connection between the divine word that John is speaking of in one, one in John in the gospel and the Genesis connection, right? And God's creative power speaking the world into being and speaking the world into order as we see in Genesis one. Um, and of course I, so I'd been, I'd been used to thinking of those two things together. Right. Um, but then here in this first two phrases of first John one, one, John asks us to take that concept and to think of it in a completely new way. Right. Um, the divine word, the divine word speaking into the void, right? The divine word speaking uh, over creation to shape and form it. We've heard that word, that, that divine word has entered into not just the darkness and made light, right? Not just the wild and waste world and made order. It's spoken into our ear canals, <laughs> right? Into our minds. Um, we have received the word. Right. Um, yeah, Matthew, exactly. Matthew, of course, is recalling uh, the famous um, sort of climax of the beginning of that opening in, in John's gospel. Right. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Right. Having said all of these things about the word, um, he then ends with that kind of, you know, shocking 
statement, right? And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And as Matthew says, he's really kind of leaning into that here, right? Um, and giving us a completely new way to think. Because it's not, yes, yes, he did. But there's another sense in which, right? Like, we, we get the hearing before we get the touching with our hands, right? Um, it is, of course, like the fact that we could hear, see, look at, touch, the word of life emphasizes the fact that he was made flesh, right? He's talking about the incarnate Jesus in those first verses. But there's also a sense in which, again, that, that like the, the word, it's the first thing we get is we heard, right? That which, that, what was from the beginning, attentive readers will know already what was from the beginning was the word, right? What was from the beginning, the word that we have heard. It's like, whoa. I mean, I'm used to thinking of, like, creation as, the, as like, the audience, the recipient of the word, right? And, but here from the beginning, John seems to embed uh, this idea that that word has been spoken into our ears. You know, that just as the word acts in creation in John 1, 1. So it is acting in our minds and hearts now. And that word is the word of life. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so I found that um, uh, kind of a mind-blowing readjustment uh, of thinking of the way I've thought about the word. Because John's, the Gospel of John, um, word stuff, you know, those first, what is it, 14 verses of chapter one, um, are so big, you know, uh, huge theological claims um, about God and about the word and um, explaining all this stuff. And here John just jumps right in with, um, this is personal. This is personal. This is a personal encounter. Um, that word which has been speaking from the beginning, um, we've heard it. We've heard it. Um, it's personal. Like it's to say, I have heard the word, right? Um, and to say, I, I have met Jesus. I my hands touched him, right? Um, those things are combined. Uh, together here, the word of life has been spoken straight into our minds and hearts. Now, what do you guys make of the seeing? Um, in particular, the doubling there. What we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands. So we get, we get hearing, seeing, and touching, but we get seeing twice. Um, and uh, when I go to the Greek, it seems that the NASB, my go-to literal translation here seems to be doing a reasonably good job at that. So we have the two words for seeing, right? Um, uh, uh, Heorakamen um, uh, is our first scene. And then gazed upon Etheosametha um, We've got the eyes the ophthalmois uh, connected with the seeing, right? So like he's, the first emphasis seems to be anchoring it in the literal, right? 
what we have heard, what we have seen. And then there's almost like this, that, 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 that the with our eyes phrase seems almost like a parenthetical to say, and, and I mean seen people. I'm not speaking metaphorically. I'm not saying, oh, yes, I see that. No, no, no. No, like our actual physical eyeballs saw it, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Tom says the uh, the second word, the second Greek word, the, the gazed upon word, um, uh, translated looked at, and I think the King James does looked upon. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, uh, Tom says that has uh, um, more to do with um, looking and watching. It's related to, to, to theater. It's like what somebody would do at a theater. Um, not just seeing, but looking and watching. Um, so would it be... Um, would it be fair to say seeing with our eyes is establishing the physical fact of viewing, right? And then going and adding the gazing upon, the looking upon, that like we, we, we didn't only really see it, we watched it, right? Um, that is to say we were paying attention. Um, this isn't just like I saw somebody and then later on I realized it was this person, but like this was, this was something we were watching. And yeah, there are several, um, uh, several of you who are pointing, who are remembering, um, you know, the, uh, uh, things like, uh, gospel references, um, both with the ears part earlier on, you know, those who have, uh, uh, ears to hear, um, but also, um, uh, like, to, uh, um, yeah, as Carrie says, they are walking with Jesus and do not see. Um, yeah, there, there's um, like blessed are those who have not seen uh, but believed. And uh, yes, um, oh, cool, David. Yeah, I was just quoting. I just quoted Jesus's words to Thomas. Right, blessed are those uh, who have not seen uh, and believed. Um, uh, to doubting Thomas after the resurrection and Devorah was just, or sorry, um, David was just saying, um, our hands have handled calls to mind Thomas feeling the wounds of the resurrected Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, yeah. And Devorah, I agree with you. Focused attention, I think is a good way, uh, a good way to, to, to differentiate there. Like the difference between hearing and listening. I think that's a really good, that's a really good uh, comparison. Yeah, Matthew says it's like the inverse of those who have eyes but see not. Yes, exactly. They they had eyes, right? And they also saw, <laughs> right? Um, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Um, that touched with our hands at the end uh, is an important emphasis, right? Um and again, it, it's, it, it, it follows along, like what was from the beginning, the word, what we have heard, and, and it is connected to us, right? We have heard that word, that word was spoken into us and not just, you know, we didn't just like hear about it. We heard the word. Um, we've seen it with our eyes. Not, we didn't just like metaphorically see it. We didn't just understand it. We didn't just, you know, we, we, we've, we've seen it. We looked at it. Right. Um, uh, we, 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 we did, uh, we, we watched it. We paid attention. Right. And we touched it with our hands. We confirmed it's, it was, it was, it, it was real. It was, the word was made flesh and we encountered it, uh, directly very much more, um, uh, intimate 
Emily. Um, very much. That's there's a very clear sense of intimacy there in the touch with our hands. Um, you can do any of the other things, hearing, seeing, even looking at in a crowd, <laughs> right? Um, touched with our hands uh, is uh, much more, much more personal, much more personal there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Carol Lynn, what a fascinating observation. I hadn't thought of that. But Carol says, is the order of actions here in the same order in which the disciples found out about Jesus's resurrection? Hearing the voice? I know that's how it happens in Revelation. Do they hear first? I guess they hear from the angel um, and then see and then actually look at, right? Like when Mary sees him and thinks he's the gardener, right? She's seen him, but she really, she really gaze at him. Right. She didn't really look at him. Um, then she looks at him. Right. And then she can't handle him yet. Right. And then he gets handled later on. Um, uh, the disciples hear from the women. Right. Right. Yes. That's I was I was including the women uh, in that, actually. But um, uh, yeah. Yeah. But if you think about it from the disciples standpoint, from uh, you know, from uh, the, you know, the, the John perspective, um, uh if we assume that this was the apostle who wrote this, um, which, as I said last time, I don't, I'm not hugely invested in debates about the identity of the person who wrote this. Um, but certainly the claim uh, to have touched Jesus with his hands certainly seems to put it in an apostolic framework. Um, but um, yeah, um, Yeah, interesting. Matthew says it also tracks with what we see at the beginning of the Gospel of John um, when he first starts meeting folks. Um, remember like Nathaniel and others there in John 1? Um, uh, they hear what Jesus said and then Jesus tells them to come and see. Right? So, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, yes. Um, I think that it's an, it, it does seem... That does seem to me, I mean, I don't know that we need necessarily invest too much in any of these specific parallels. Like, I don't think that this necessarily means, like, he's referring to the discovery of the resurrection or he's referring to the um, discovery of Jesus and realizing that he was the Christ at the beginning. I think that um, it's kind of all of those things, right? Or rather, let me say this another way. This begins to help me see why he's presented this as a series of parallel noun clauses instead of just saying this stuff, right? He, he gives these things separately. There is a kind of progression here, right? It is clearly a progression of increasing intimacy and understanding, hearing, and then seeing with your eyes, and then looking at, really observing, right? Really paying attention to, and then that you know, Emily, just as you said, that closest level of intimacy, that touching with your hands, right? Um, that kind of progression does map onto all of those things, right? Whether it be, um, you know, the um, the initial encounter with Jesus, at, you know, in the earlier parts of the Gospels, or whether it be that discovery of the resurrection, um, you know, after uh, you know, at the end of the Gospels, <clears throat> that same kind of pattern of 
drawing nearer and nearer to the word of life seems to be one of the things that's happening here in this verse, right? That gets kind of dramatized in the way that he lays out these verb causes. Um, um, and then again, going back to the start of the verse, what was from the beginning, right? So we start really far away, <laughs> right? Um, what was from the beginning, it's almost like um, what we have contemplated, right? Because we weren't there in the very beginning, right? Um, that thing which we have thought about. Just as, and again, um, I think back about the, um, uh, I think about the, um, what was I saying? Um, oh yeah, the beginning of the gospel, uh, Matthew, as we were just discussing. Um, when the disciples are soon to be disciples, hear Jesus and encounter Jesus for the first time, they're, um, they're thinking about, um, uh, they already have a concept, right? They're waiting for the Messiah. Um, they, they know about the Christ and they're, and so like the news is not like, dude, did you hear there's going to be a Messiah? Right. That's not the news. The news is like, this is him, right? Uh, the Messiah is totally right over there. Right. That's the message that we're getting. So in a sense that what was from the beginning is like it's that that concept. Right. We have. uh, uh, So, again, in one sense, you could almost uh, uh, sort of like that first phrase, almost that first noun clause serves almost to be this like um, what we have contemplated, what we have known about. Right. What we have um, um, thought about and then what we have heard what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Um, yeah, I think that's um, uh, pretty cool. Um, so back to the we. It is possible, of course, that by saying what we have heard, we have seen, we have looked at and touched with our hands, um, it is possible that he is speaking on behalf of the apostles, right? Um, that this is a statement of um, firsthand, of a, you know, a, 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 a firsthand witness, right? Um, and, you know, there were others, right? You know, there's a, there were multiple witnesses. And so he is bearing witness to this on behalf of himself and the other apostles. I can tell you, we, we've heard it. We've seen it. We looked upon it. We handled it with our hands. Um, and that's what I'm going to tell you about. Devorah, yeah, it does establish credibility. Um, uh, yeah, no, great question. Uh, Carrie is asking, and I'm going to throw this immediately to my Greek scholars, um, uh, uh, Tom and Aiden and Matthew and, and others. Um, the, the, the first person plural. Um, of course, we often think of the royal we. It's funny how much Americans think about the royal we. Um, I mean, it, we don't do that in America, but Americans are always thinking about the royal we, it seems to me. It comes up a lot. Um, and a surprising amount. Um, I like. Uh, I always liked Mark Twain's saying that there are only three people who can use the uh, who can use the first person plural about themselves, um, and that's royalty, newspaper editorial writers, and people with tapeworms. Um, in Greek, how do they do it? Um, is that a thing in Greek? The plural, like the first person plural, um, like 
does one use the first person plural in Greek? Um, not necessarily to establish like with in a royal context, but is there a um, is there a, a kind of a literary trope for using the first person plural uh, in to establish some like as a position of authority or uh, something something like that? Um, okay, um, yeah, some kind of rhetorical usage essentially of the of the first person plural. Um, yeah, I'd like to. I'd be interested in learning more ways about that. Um, uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, um, uh, not often is what I'm getting from a lot of people. Do we get that in other? Anyway, let me start off with. I can see two other ways to understand this. Well, okay, I can see three ways right away to understand the. Uh, um, the first person plural uh, here. One is in the rhetorical way that I was just pointing to, the, the way that in English we tend to hear that a lot for some reason, more than it's actually appropriately used for sure. Um, um, yeah, a bunch of people are saying in biblical literature they don't recall that being used um, in that way. Um, Joe, what a wonderful question, which I was just about to ask, and which uh, Carrie was just following up with asking as well. Any Hebrew scholars? <laughs> Anybody know Hebrew or Aramaic? Aiden, do you have any Aramaic? Um, uh, is that is that a thing in Aramaic? Because, um, of course, even if it weren't a thing in normal Greek, right, somebody who's thinking in Aramaic and translating into Greek uh, might, maybe, if it were a thing uh, in uh, in in. Aramaic or in Hebrew. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, there is the famous use of of God using the plural in the Old Testament. Um, let us make man according to our image and that kind of thing. Yes. Um, the prophets use we. Sometimes, I think, well... The prophets, I think, generally use we when they're speaking on behalf of the people, right? Like that when they're talking about like Israel collectively, right? Um, so I think it's like the collective we in that sense. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I don't want to go down too deep a rabbit hole. I'm going to then... So as I said, three, three ways in which I can understand the we. One... Um, is that um, the uh, some kind of potentially rhetorical usage of it? The other would be, as I already mentioned, him speaking on behalf of the plural apostles, right? Um, those establishing Devorah, as you said, establishing credibility, right? Um, I saw this and touched, and it's not just me, right? Is one other sense of it? Um, but um, I think that. Um, the third way would be to be including his readers as well. Um, that when he says we, he means me and you. Like the, the, the most immediate and in a sense obvious we involved here is him and his, and his readers, right? Um, uh, the other apostles are tangential, right? And it's, not, it's not relevant, but he's not talking to them, right? And they're not standing next to him, right? In fact, they're all dead now, 
right? Um, pretty much. I think, uh, I'd, 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 assuming this is the Apostle John, he's the last one standing at this point. Um, so, um, so yeah, I, I, uh, I think that that may be an element, right? You know, there may be this element of like recollection. Like I remember when, you know, we heard, saw, looked at, touched. Um, but, um, but he seems to be, it seems to me very likely or most directly, uh, to be, um, including his readers as well. What we have heard, we, you, you, you and I, you and I, um, uh, we do now you're right. We're going to get different pronouns later on, right? We are going to get a you, um, a you and an us in verse three, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So we are going to, we are going to, we are going to get our second person pronouns, uh, coming in there. Um, uh, yeah. But which would call into question that third reading of we in verse one, right? How could he, why would he be including his readers in the we in verse one when he's clearly differentiating his readers, the you in verse three and still using we, right? He doesn't separate it into I and, you know, start with we and separate to I and you, right? He's doing we and you there in verse three. Let's just double check, but I feel confident that they did this right. Yep. We have seen, we declare to you, yes, there we are, second person, and first person plural still. So, yep, yep, that would seem to say, well, that's clearly then not what's going on in verse one, right? I'm still not convinced, actually. Um, I'm still not convinced, in a sense, in a sense. Um, One second uh, coming in, coming back to the... uh, because I don't want to leave that hanging completely. The reference to the gods using the plural in the Old Testament. Um, as several people were pointing out, that is unusual. Um, I, God does that, but as... Uh, uh, yeah, it's... Um, uh, it's an exception. when It happens on several occasions, several very notable occasions. Uh, uh, Genesis 1, Genesis 3, Tower of Babel, it happens, it happens several times. And, and it's very important and interesting. In several of the Psalms, we get that um, as well. It comes up. Um, but it's not like it's a standard rhetorical trope or something. Like, when it's being used, um, it seems to me that when that's happening in the Old Testament, like, there's a thing going on there. <laughs> like this, and that's, it, it's not just like, oh, I'm just using plural cuz. You know, like, like you do, right? Like, I, it's not a like you do kind of thing. And you can tell in those passages by the way it shifts back and forth. Um, uh, God shifts back and forth between the first person plural and first person singular in mid-speech at several points um, in some of those passages, like in Genesis 1-1. Um, so um, anyway, I just want to, I, 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 I acknowledge that that's a really interesting um, kind of connection, but I don't think it really bears on this because... Those seem I get they seem to be doing a particular thing, and this is not this is not that thing for sure. This is not God speaking of Himself in the third person. So, um, we'll uh, uh, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, okay. Um, but I 
we'll see. We'll see. I'm going to pause it. And for now, see, it's hard because I'm cheating. I'm doing all kinds of cheating. I'm cheating all day long here in this session so far because uh, we've been first completely going back to John 1 all the way through, <laughs> like I said I wasn't going to do. And now I'm going back to Genesis 2. And secondly, uh, I'm peeking ahead. That's what the other thing I mean by cheating. Um, I'm peeking ahead and uh, my reading ahead in first John suggests to me that he's using the inclusive we here. Um, uh, so all I can do is just kind of put a little flag in that and say, let's come back to this. Uh, let's come back to this because I think that what, we, when we see more of how John is building this and the kind of things that he's saying and the way that he's sort of, um, the message that he's conveying, I believe that I will be prepared to argue later that we'll see. Maybe, maybe I'll change my mind, but um, I believe I will be prepared to argue that he's using the inclusive we deliberately there. Um, that, on the, that he's doing two things at the same time here. He is testifying to what he himself is. He is making a claim as an eyewitness and a hand witness and an ear witness, right, of Jesus, of the manifested word of life. But he's also including them. He's also saying, you too are a part of that. And again, here I come back to Arche, what was from the beginning. And remember, as we said last time, there are several different senses of that. What was from the beginning in the sense of from the beginning of time, right? From creation was the word. But there's more than one sense of that, right? It's also what was from the beginning, like from the beginning of this whole story, like from the beginning of the gospel story, right? From the incarnation, right? Um, what we have heard, this this all, this chapter, this message that I'm telling you began at the time when the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and I, we touched it and heard it and looked upon it and stuff, right? Um, that's, I think, another sense of beginning. He's talking about the beginning of the the word of life, the beginning of this Zoe thing. Um, but I think there's a third sense of the word beginning. And that's linked directly to the we's, directly to those first person plurals. There's another beginning that's relevant here, and that's the beginning of his relationship with his readers, right? It is very clear from what we will see later on in this text that although this is called the first epistle of John, He's not writing to strangers. Some of them are, right? Some of the epistles are clearly um, writing to, like, like Paul's writing to the Romans and he's never been to Rome yet, right? He'll, he'll get there, but he hasn't been there yet, right? Um, Peter is writing and he's clearly writing to a bunch of people that he's never met before, right? Um, whereas you get something like 1 Corinthians and Paul is clearly writing to people. He explicitly talks about having met them in the time that he spent with them before, Right. Um, John doesn't get all episodic. He doesn't get there are uh, quasi narrative bits in some of those letters of Paul, like first Corinthians, right, where we hear about, um, you know, things like where Paul is like, I'm glad I didn't baptize uh, anybody there except for the and I can't remember if I baptized anybody else when I was there. Th that's that's what I mean by those uh, like narrative bits that we get um, in some of Paul's epistles. And John, um, uh, John doesn't get um, uh 
John doesn't get narrative in that way um, about his audience, but he makes it, he will make it very clear um, that he knows the people that he's talking to, um, or at least that they have been connected before. Um, and that, I think, is, is a third relevance of the concept of the arche, of the beginning. Um, um, what was from the beginning. Um, to f- do a little spoiler uh, for later on, uh, the word arche is going to come up a lot. And when it does come up, um, it's usually going to refer to this third time that I'm talking about. Um, what we heard from the beginning. That is, the original gospel message that you received is the, the number one way, and I, I think it's the number one by number off the top of my head. I haven't counted, um, but that's the way in which that phrase, that word, arche, is going to come up again and again uh, throughout First uh, John. So I can't help but read this um, in that um, uh, in that in that context. And yes, I agree, Tom. That sense of having been there from the beginning also does um, uh, establish uh, establish authority. Um, yeah. Oh, interesting. So, Tom, I didn't know that pun. The word arche also means govern. Oh, like archon, right? Yeah, uh, ruler. Yeah. Never thought of that. Right, like Archbishop. That's where it comes from. Of course, of course. Yeah. Arche. Um, right. So we should see if we hear, to appropriately mix all of my sound metaphors here, um, we should see if we can hear resonance of authority involved there. And I think think we can. That sounds right to me. Um, that sounds right to me here. Um, yeah. First in rank in a list. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. First. First. Foremost. Yeah. Oh, man. That suggests an entirely different reading, like another reading of that first noun clause, then. If we read it arche, not as beginning, but as first, foremost, right? Uh, premier, right? Primary. <clears throat> what was, or even, um, you know, Tom, as you suggest, monarch, right? What was from the monarch, right? That which was, from, like, this has been delivered, this, this comes from the top, is another way in which to understand that, right? Not, not just <clears throat> this came from the start, Right? Um, but this comes straight from the top <laughs> would be a really uh, uh, clumsy way to paraphrase that. Um, what was from the beginning, what we've heard, what we've seen, what we've looked at, all of those things that have been um, uh, observed by us um, is uh, um, it comes, comes from a position of authority, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I never thought of that. That's really useful. Um, yeah, it's, um, I know. Yeah. And you're right. Matthew's right to remind me to be cautious. Um, 
just because a word has multiple meanings doesn't mean that you always think of them all every time you use the word. Um, that's true. That's true. But Matthew, my counter to that would be, um, you do when you're writing and reading poetry and I don't know anything about Aramaic poetry and I know little enough about Greek poetry. Uh, but the way this entire sentence works is intensely poetic. Poetic in the sense I was saying last time that um, it, it seems to me po poetic in the sense that it is not making statements. This is not prose. Like prose tries to explain things clearly, mostly. That's uh, that's awkward and many examples when it's not. But um, poetry brings words and concepts together and allows multiple meanings and multiple senses of them to play. You don't have to choose. Uh, again, it's the, pro it's the reason why you can never translate poetry. You can never truly translate poetry from la one language to another. It's not possible because you have to make choices, which a poem itself resists making. Like the whole nature of a poem is to resist those choices, to place two words, each of which has multiple potential resonances, and to bring those two things into contact, right? And then they kind of achieve this resonance which, you know, does other things that are not contained within the meaning of either word, right? Like those are, that's how poetry, that's what poetry does. That's how poetry works in essence, I think, anyway. Um, and... Like, you know, poetry, you're supposed to, um, you're supposed to think about, meditate on, taste, uh, you know, just experience in lots of different ways. It's not merely, um, expository, you know, it's not just trying to convey to you, uh, a concept, um, like prose so very often does. But anyway, um, Everything I can see about how he's constructing his sentences and how he's putting things together suggests to me that John is doing a similar kind of thing. Um, I think one of the things, like just from verse one, like from verse one alone, I come out with a very clear impression that um, we should be very careful. Uh, we should be very careful about emerging with what we feel like is the reading. You know, like, this is the thing that he's saying in this verse or with this word. Because um, I, I don't think there is a thing. I think that he is... Um, so I'm going to be more interested in seeing what are the things that are kind of being held in tension is such an English teacher way to say it. But there's a reason English teachers say that. Um, I think it's sloppy, though, often. because I've used that phrase so many times. Um, but it's... As an English teacher, I mean. Uh, but there's not always tension in between them. Um, sometimes it's it's about balance. Sometimes it's about, uh, um, I don't know. Uh, sometimes it's about overlapping and, like, the mixture of colors and things like that. But um, uh, anyway. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So I just want to make sure that we don't... Um, I guess the way I'd say it is, if we read almost any verse in this epistle and come away saying, yep, 
plain as a pike staff, that is, right? As Sam Gamgee might say, um, we're probably doing it wrong. <laughs> we're probably doing it wrong. And so one last note on the plural we, because again, I saw some people still commenting on this, um, that is wanting to come back to verse three with the we and the you, um, and that the use of you in verse three would seem to prove that he's not being inclusive in, in, in with the we in verse one. Um, I, all, all I can say is wait for it. Wait for it. Um, uh, hang on to that and evaluate it in a couple months and see what you think. Um, I think that one of the things... Here's another way to explain what I think he's doing there. The first time you read it, you're going to read that we as outside yourself. Um, if you were, you know, listening to this epistle being read out, you know, in the gathering the first time, right, you would almost certainly hear the we as meaning John's claim of apostolic authority, right? And his citation of apostolic authority. Um, I think almost certainly that's how they would have heard it. But I think that the second time, certainly the fifth time, uh, more likely the 15th time they heard it read, um, it would sound different to them. And I believe I suspect that John means it that way, that he means for them to be included and kind of increasingly included as they themselves come to um, absorb and understand um, the message that he's, that he's saying here. Um, yes, exactly. That's exactly, Matthew, how I would say it, um, that the process of, of reading the letter, the process of, 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 you know, gaining the understanding that he's trying to explain slowly folds the reader into that we even retroactively. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, uh, yes, even though on the one sense, like on a literal sense, that doesn't seem like it makes any sense, right? It's like, I mean, either they handled him with our hands or not, <laughs> right? I mean, like, one or the other. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's like you can't retroactively touch something with your hand, right? Um, and yet there is a sense, I believe, he is going to be ex- asserting that there is a sense um, in, which, in, which the, in which that's true. Um, now, having thought about the middle stuff, as I said, of verse one. Let's come back to the end. The word of life. Right? The word of life now encapsulates all... Not encapsulates. Um, all of these things have been concerning the word of life. What was from the beginning concerning the word of life? What was from the arche? What was from the, uh, from the, from the ruler? from the first um, concerning the word of life. What we have heard concerning the word of life. What we have seen with our eyes concerning the word of life. What we have looked at concerning the word of life and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Um, Think of that last one for a second. It's something very different to say we have touched the word of life with our hands. That's a huge thing, right? It's a massive thing. We have touched the word of life with our hands. But he's not just saying that. He is saying that. But he's not just saying that. What we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. You see? 
see the dimension that that adds by doing the noun clause thing? You see the other dimension that he's added there? What we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That is, it isn't just the word of life himself that was touched and looked at and seen and heard. It was that which was concerning the word of life. That stuff about the word of we have touched with our that which we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Um, even if you didn't yourself touch the word of life, you will have touched with your hands things concerning the word of life. Even what was from the beginning concerning the word of life. Um, yeah, Randall, exactly. I'm I'm. A lot of what I'm focusing on here is really that um, that preposition, peri, right? Uh, concerning. Yes. Um, uh, yeah. Anybody tell me anything about peri, about that preposition? How else is it used? Um, concerning, um, about, around. Its base meaning is around. Okay, see, so that's what I was thinking. I, like perimeter, that's what I was... Uh, the word perimeter was suggesting to me that that's what it that's that's what it was about in several sense in, senses. Um, yeah, around the word of life. That's that's exactly. It's not. Um, that's the sense that I was just kind of trying to touch with my hands here at the end. Right. Um, it isn't just the word of life. Isn't just directly being touched with the hand. Right. Um, it's those things around the word of life, concerning the word of life. Those things that were from the beginning around, concerning, about the word of life. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and that is the other th another thing that seems to me to facilitate or to open the door to that inclusive we, you know, uh, that kind of retroactive inclusive we there. Um, what is, on the one hand, a clear statement of um, firsthand witness account, right, um, is also relates to them because... They have heard, seen, looked at, and touched with their hands what was from the beginning concerning the word of life, about the word of life. Um, those things brought about by the word of life, those things which were attached to the word of life, the things which were associated with the word of life, what the word of life brought, these are all things that they are, in fact, have encountered, right? Even though they didn't, presumably, none of the readers of this... Um, would have met Jesus Christ himself in the flesh. Um, yeah, Hillary, I love that. Hillary says, I'm tempted to mentally translate it, the word of life stuff. Yes, yes, it, it is the word of life, right, concerning the word of life, but there is also the word of life stuff. I love that. I love that, 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 that translation. Um, uh, yeah, because um, that stuff 
was from the beginning, too. Again, from the beginning in those multiple senses. How many senses do we have from, from the beginning? Well, just in the beginning itself, we had from the beginning of creation, from the beginning of the, uh, the incarnation, right, of the gospel ministry, and from the beginning of the reception of the gospel, right, the, the beginning of their relationship, right, the reader's relationship with the gospel. Um, and, um, uh, and then thinking of beginning in the sense of, uh, of, or sorry, thinking of arche in the sense of, of, of ruler, that kind of monarchical, um, uh, sense of the word arche, um, what was like from authority, right? What was, uh, from the ruler, um, uh, that's the stuff, Hillary, right? The word of life stuff is from the ruler, right? Um, uh, directly from the ruler. Um, and we'll see lots of rev- resonance of that as we move through the rest of the book as well. Um, and then I like uh, Matthew is adding a sort of another musing on that, on RK there. Um, uh, most important, like first principle as well, um, kind of combining the be- concept of beginning with the concept of, uh, of ruler, right? Of, of uh, most important. So like the, the, like, um, most important stuff, right? Um, it's the most important stuff, that which was from the beginning, um, from the RK. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that word of life stuff, super important stuff, right? And it's stuff that we've heard and seen um, and looked at and touched. And this whole the things of or stuff, I think stuff is a really excellent, as far as I can see, modern English translation of this, of this concept. That's how these noun clauses are working from the beginning. Um, the noun clauses, noun clauses often have subjects, right? These, these are all, they all start with that relative pronoun, right? The, the whole there, which seem, which is being used as you know being translated here in the tra- in the interlinear that which that which that which right it's a, it's a, it's a relative pronoun um, in this case um, in this instance that which was from the beginning that which we have heard um, like that it's 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 like it's 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 not yet specified right the stuff that was from the beginning the stuff that we have heard the stuff that we have seen like that those pronouns are standing in for something not yet specified that's what a pronoun. Um, pronouns have antecedents, right? Pronouns are tied to nouns, right? They, they, they point to nouns. That's their job. Um, and, uh, when you, when the first word of the whole book is a pronoun, right? A relative pronoun, then you're pointing to something we know not what yet, right? And that's the sense all the way through the stuff from the beginning, the stuff we have heard, the stuff we've seen, the stuff we've looked upon, you know, the word of life stuff. So there we go, Hillary. We've 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 uh, we've now established a new contemporary English version. There's one already called that. We've uh, uh, a new English version, right? The stuff that was, you know, the stuff from the beginning, the beginning stuff, the important beginning stuff, uh, the stuff we've heard, the stuff we've seen with our eyes, the stuff we've looked at carefully, and the and the stuff we've touched with our hands. You know, the word of life stuff. That's, 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 there we go. There we go. Um, uh, (laughs) okay. There we go. I was not thinking we were going to do a new translation of verse one, but I like it. I like it. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, good, good. (laughs) Okay. Well, um, we are 
coming up on the end of our time, and as tempted as I am to jump into the parenthetical here uh, to start off with uh, verse 2, I've already peaked at verse 2 um, in that we can see that the, the, the bridge into verse 2 from verse 1, um, we're not going to be expanding on word directly. We're going to be expanding on life, right? We're going to come back to Zoe there. Um, so, um, uh, cool. Anyway, all right. Let's... Um, uh, let's let's stop there. We'll continue next week. Um, we'll see if we can do verse 2 next week. Maybe we'll even get into verse 3. Not quite so sure. Um, so uh, we'll have to see. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree, Matthew. We may need a whole week on Manifested uh, next time. Um, so you can see some people, uh, the people who know me least well, um, were laughing when I said I thought I was going to take uh, that like a year and a half was an over-under. Uh, it was the over-under on how long it's going to take us to get through First John. Um, verse a week was pretty much what I assumed we'd be doing, and there are 105 verses in this book. So, um, yes, uh, I'm uh, glad you were able to join me, uh, and uh, thank you. This has been a, a fun discussion. I learned so much today. Looking forward to learning more with you next week. I will be here next week. March is going to get dodgy, but through the rest of February, I'll be able to be here every week. So um, I'll try to keep you guys posted for that. Thanks, as always, for joining us. I really appreciate it. And I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye now. Thanks again for listening to Students of the Word. I hope that this session has been helpful for you. And may God bless you in your studies and throughout your week.